Father, we pray that today you would be with us. Open our hearts and our minds. Open our ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to take what we hear and implement it into our lives to be more useful vessels at the hands of the master. We pray for Curtis and we pray for Andy down in Pontiac. We pray for Mike Preston. We pray for for those who can't stand in the pulpit, denying the wishes of the world to have their ears tickled and to be entertained by anything other than what you'd have us to hear, which you you've commanded us to hear, and that we must uh, take to heart and act on. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Today we turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we look at, uh, at the first 10 verses in that chapter, and um, we can, you know, Timothy asks me every week, well, what title do you want to put on here? And I never can think of a title. Um, I'm just not very creative that way. Uh, and I always think of one after the sermon. That doesn't really help. Assurance of the, of the resurrection is the heading in my New King James Bible. And so that's the one he found. And so that's the title of the sermon, Assurance of the Resurrection. Um, <laughs> and, and that's not a bad title. Um, And yet there were a lot of issues, apparently, that the uh, Corinthian Christians were dealing with, a lot of things that they were thinking about, a lot of things maybe that they even thought Paul was saying that he wasn't saying, that he had already told them, that's not what I'm saying, I'm saying this, and now he's got to make sure they get it again and they understand again what he's talking about, about the resurrection. It's possible that the Apostle Paul uh, thought for a while that Jesus was going to return before he died. And... It's possible that some of the Corinthians thought that. Um, and so the Apostle Paul is trying to teach them that, listen, if, even if that's not what happens, there's still, there's still the assurance, not just the possibility, the assurance of a resurrection. Okay? Now, uh, it's been, been 2,000 years, give or take, uh, since uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He hasn't come back yet. You know, and, and I'm not saying that to say he's not coming back. I'm saying that, that we're two, to say that we're 2,000 years closer to his return than we were then. Okay? So if he comes back during this life, and I think that'd be awesome, um, you know, uh, if he does, that's fantastic. If not, guess what? Don't worry. He's got this. And there is a resurrection awaiting those of us who go before he returns. So... Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses one through ten. If you have your Bible and you're able, uh, will you stand as we read? For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. 
Now he who, is prepared, who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. May you bow with me. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this assurance, for this, um, uh, for the surety of what you have done for us, for the assurance that one day, whether we are taken when Christ returns or whether we will be resurrected at our um, uh, at, at the death of this body. God, we thank you for the fact that you have a place for us in heaven and that you have an eternal body not made with hands for us also. Father, we pray that you will help us to take this to heart in such a way that we also share this good news with others, that they may know Jesus Christ and the hope, the assurance of the resurrection that he offers. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, there's so much in here, um, and sometimes I'll, I'll open a text, and I'll look at it, and I'll read it, and I'll go, okay, what is this saying? Um, and there's some of this that kind of looks that way, but when I see this, there's so much in here that just, that, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for we know. Some people believe, some theologians thought or think, maybe they still do, maybe they're not with us anymore, and maybe they've learned differently, um, that, that Paul is teaching some new th- part of theology here, that this isn't anything he had taught before, that they never heard this, okay, that they didn't understand that some of them thought maybe that all of those who died before Christ's return were stuck, okay? And some of them think that's what Paul was teaching or not clearing up, okay? And they were thinking, well, what happens to those who are asleep in Christ? And Jesus, or Paul was saying, guess what? He's going to take care of them too. And so here he says, for we know, because he had already dealt with this stuff. He had already taught them this. They already knew uh, or had heard that, guess what? Even though this body is destroyed, there's going to be a resurrection for us. Even those who are asleep in Christ are going to be raised when Jesus returns. Going to be raised to have a new resurrection body. Okay? And so this is, you know, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. In other words, we could say, now in review, if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. He's just going over what he's already taught them before. It's nothing new to them. They should have gotten this. They should understand this. But he wants to double down on this. There's a saying, um, and uh, practice makes perfect. Anybody there yet? I don't like that saying. I do like the other one, repetition is a mother of skill, right? And, and the more you hear something, how many of you love to memorize scripture verses? There's going to be a few of you here that are going to think that. Yes, I do. I love to memorize them. But it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard to memorize anything, especially Scripture, because Satan wants to muddle your mind and keep you from doing that. The best way to memorize Scripture is repetition, 
do it again, say it again, say it again, say it again, say it again. That's the best way to memorize scripture. Repetition is the mother of skill. And the Apostle Paul and all of the, well, God, since he wrote the scriptures, it's his word. They knew that. God knew that. One of the best ways for us to understand something and to remember it is to say it over and over again. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, I just want to remind you that if our earthly house, this tent's destroyed, we have a building from God. I just want to remind you, this is what we've taught before. If our earthly house, this tent. I love that word. I love that whole thing. Did you know that this is my earthly house? You know, it needs remodeled, right? Anybody ever feel that way? You know? And, and I'm working on remodeling mine. Okay, you notice what I got? I got a haircut. I got a haircut. And, and so I've done a little remodeling. You know what I did this morning? I shaved. Did a little remodeling. Guess what? Um, <laughs> there's some remodeling being done to my body as we speak, all right? I know that there are certain parts, like your nose and your ears, that just keep growing, all right? I'm really sad about that because my nose has always been big enough. It doesn't need to be bigger, Okay? All right, but this earthly house, guess what? Someday it's going to be destroyed. We do everything we can nowadays to keep it moving, to keep it working. Okay, you know that I love to run, and you know that I take a lot of grief from that. All right, people make fun of me. You know that one proverb, I think it's a proverb, that says, the wicked run when nobody is pursuing them? It doesn't really say that. Okay. That's not really what it says, but that's what some people think it says because some of the modern versions, all right? People make fun of me for running. I love to run. It's good for me. I put a picture up from running yesterday, and it was a foggy morning, and I put that picture up of my run and Bernie Bossom. God love you, Bernie. I do too. He said, the fog of running, and I'm going, and I'm going to put a picture up. Now I'm going to ruin it because you're going to hear this. I'm going to put a picture up of bright, nice, sunny sunshine from the same thing, and it's going to say, the fog is gone after running, okay? And so my whole point is I do that, I run because it's good for me, all right? It helps me, and it helps me keep this earthly body going. It also kind of helps keep what I've got left of this earthly mind going, okay? Keeps me, keeps me somewhat sane, okay? Somewhat calm. And so we want this earthly body to last as long as it possibly can. But one day, guess what? This earthly body will be destroyed. This earthly house, this tent. I look at that word tent there. Now you notice there's, there's three words, okay? We've got earthly house, this tent, and then a, a, um, somewhere else there's another word, habitation, okay? So it's got a building from God, a habitation which is from heaven. It's got an earthly house and a tent. That word tent is the word that if you look that up, it's the word that means tabernacle, okay? And then if you go over to John chapter 1, I love this picture because it's, it's a picture of the idea that we have an earthly tabernacle that's this body. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word, who is that? Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, now that's the New King James, but if you take that word dwelt there, that's the same root word that's used here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this tent. And so if you look at that scripture and you read that when it's just translated and not, I don't know, change a little bit so we understand it better. It would say that he, the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us or and pitched his tent among us, okay? 
And so what we see there is that for a while, Jesus also had an earthly house, a tabernacle, a tent. And, and what's really cool is um, our bodies will be destroyed. His never underwent decay. You think about that. You, you remember when um, Lazarus died and they, Jesus came after four days and he said, go open the tomb. And they go, by now he surely stinks. Or in King James, by now he surely stinketh. And yet when Jesus was crucified after the th- on the third day, when the ladies went to the tomb, they didn't worry about that then. I think there's a reason because his body never did undergo decay. But he had a, an earthly house also, and now he has a glorified body. We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, and that word destroyed is a word that means, well, it applies very well to the idea of taking down a tent. Okay? Anybody ever put up a tent? It's a little bit more difficult than taking one down, right? Okay? But that's the word, that's what it means. The the word destroyed means to tear down, and it's appropriate for that of taking down a tent. And this is a reference to physical death. And so he says, we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, in other words, we die. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, there's a lot of different things about this. Uh, And one of these is is this house that we live in um, only lasts for so long. It's temporal. It's not forever. But the building we have uh, from God is not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. Now, he changes kind of, um, uh, some people think there's some, that the building he's talking about is that mansion we're going to, but it's not. That's not what he's talking about. You see, how many of you live in a house? And how many houses have you living in it, right? And you have a house where you live in, right? So you got to have the house. You got to have somebody living in it, right? Um, My house is not a mansion. It's a pretty decent house. It's not a mansion. So we see two things. Some people think that when he talks about this house or this building not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, they're talking about the mansion that Jesus Christ is preparing to. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a different body that God will create, that God will, and and I don't know how he's going to do it, okay? Um, I don't know if he's going to take some of the parts that you got now, some of the the dust that that you're made from now, and he's going to bring them back together and make a glorified body. I'm I'm not that worried about it, okay? Um, Do you know that you're not the same person you were when you were born? You realize that? Yeah, some of you don't have hair anymore. And you might not have when you were born, but you grew some pretty soon after that, right? (laughs) I'm not pointing any fingers, okay? Mine's gray, all right? Okay? Um, And and some of your your skin, I've got some rough places on my hands, not because I'm a hard laborer, just because I'm getting older. It's not baby smooth skin anymore, right? And so um, I don't know how many years it takes for us to totally regenerate, but that's what happens, you know? and so the body you have now is not the same one you had when you were a little baby. And so which one of those is God going to regenerate? We've talked about this a few you know, months ago, right? So I don't know how he's going to do it or what he's going to do. All I know is that this body is temporal. This body is, is temporary. This body is going to be destroyed. But yet, whether it's destroyed upon death or destroyed when Christ comes, we're going to get a new one. And that's the promise. That's the assurance, the reassurance that he's trying to give them. We have a house not made with hands, 
a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And, and guess what's going to happen? In this one, it says we groan. The Paul, Apostle Paul talks about this in verse 2 and 4. He says, uh, in this one we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Uh, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. All right. Now, why do we groan? Sometimes we groan because it's hard to get up from the chair, right? Sometimes we groan because our knees ache, our knees pop, our back hurt, you know? Sometimes we groan because the alarm went off, okay? That's where my alarm is right here, all right? And I've got like seven of them set every six minutes. And Kathy goes, get out of bed. She never says that. She never says that. She rolls over and, and tries to go back to sleep, okay? But sometimes that's why we groan. Here's the thing. Life is tough. Life is difficult sometimes. And, and as we age, everything seems to get a little more difficult, right? And so we groan in this body. You know what, what is true of all of us? We're all terminal. You know that? We're all terminal. Every one of us. The mortality rate has remained at 100% for quite a long time. Every one of us is going to die. I was um, driving the school bus a few years ago, and I... I go to Blackstone to pick up some of the kids, and I went to Blackstone, I came back around, and I was coming over that overpass there on 18, and, um, and I'm coming over that overpass, and, and somebody had stopped behind me at the stop sign, and they're trying to zoom around me right over there, and I'm thinking, not a good idea, because there's the overpass, and they can't see over it, and the only thing you got to the side of us are just ditches, okay, downhill, and I'm thinking, not a good idea. I see him in my mirror, and I hit the brake, and he zooms around me, and as soon as I... I see him, I, I, I look up, and there's a truck coming right at us in the other lane, a pickup truck coming right at him. A little Ford Ranger, but, you know, somebody was going to get hurt. So I hit the brakes, he accelerates and gets around me, and a little girl in my truck and my bus goes, we're going to die! And I said, but not today. And we are, every one of us. We're all terminal. We're all going to die. And the Apostle Paul was probably getting closer to the idea that his life wasn't going to um, last until Christ returned. You think about the poor guy. I mean, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he faced danger. Everywhere he went, somebody was going to give him a hard time. Every, uh, many of the cities that he went into, people would attack him and people would stone him or put him in jail and beat him and whip him. And he probably had come to the conclusion that, um, that he wasn't going to die in his sleep. I mean, that's, my, that's what I want to do. I want to die in my sleep. I don't want to do it while Kathy's laying next to me. I want to do it taking a nap on the couch, okay, because I don't want her to wake up and freak out, okay? Um, I don't want one of those violent deaths. The Apostle Paul probably had come to the realization that that's probably what was going to happen with him. And he knew or believed that he, I mean, already he said he was being poured out for them. And he knew that, that his body probably wasn't going to make it to the return of Christ. And so um, he says, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And so if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Um, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. How many of you love this life? I mean, I love this life, okay? I love this life. I think Paul did too, okay? But I think that he understood, um, what do you say in Galatians, to live is Christ and to die is gain? 
he loved the life and he loved being the apostle that God called him to be. But he also knew that something better was coming. Um, I guess we can look at it kind of like this. Uh, and the example they gave in the, in the um, commentary was it's kind of like a woman who is, um, who is uh, what's the one I'm looking for, with child. And she knows that a birth is coming. And she's sure ready for that to happen. But she's not ready for that to happen. I mean, I don't know the pain. I've never felt it. I've never felt anything near that pain. Um, but she wants that child to be born, but she doesn't want to have to go through the pain and the suffering that happens. Um, I look at it like this also. Um, how many of you have had any kind of surgery? I've had my appendix removed, uh, and that's the result. That's the most, all right? Um, and I told them to put it in a jar. I wanted it back, and they wouldn't do it for me. Um, but I walked stooped over for probably two months. Uh, I mean, scars like this. They didn't do the laparoscopic. It was a really big one. And, and I'm thinking, um, and I didn't have time to think about it, okay? All I knew was I was in pain. I went to the doctor. He pushed on my stomach, and I screamed, or let go, and I screamed. And he said, you're going to the hospital. We're going to have to take that appendix out. Didn't have time to think about it. But many times people think about their surgeries. I mean, my brother's had both rotator cuffs repaired. He just had his eye operated on. My mom's had um, hip replacement surgery. Many of you have had those kind of things. And, you know, you think about things like that, and you think, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And yet I don't want to walk with this limp all the time either. And so what are you doing? You're groaning because guess what? There's a pain. There's a trouble. And you look forward to being better, but you don't really want to go through that surgery. And that's kind of what Paul was. He was groaning in this body even though, um, even though this was a good life, uh, even though he was doing what Christ called him to do. And yet he knew that something better was coming. Death isn't something we want to go through. Dying isn't something we want to go through. But... And, and I don't think he did because he knew it was probably going to be a violent one. But we don't want to stay in this one either forever. Not, not with things deteriorating the way they are physically. He says we groan. We groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Why do we want to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven? Because it's eternal. Because it doesn't deteriorate. Remember what he said? The, the body that we're going to have is... This one is mortal. The one we're going to have is what? Immortal. This one it undergoes corruption. That one will never see corruption. And that's what he said. And so if, if the corruption we're talking about is uh, loss of limb, is the inability to walk, is the, uh, any of those things, then guess what? We don't want to see that, and we won't see that in heaven. And so he says, I like this one, but I'm ready for the next one. Um, if, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, that's kind of a, what's that word? I'm looking for that word here. That's kind of a, um, if I can find it in the notes. It's a word that's really cool. I, I learned it this week. Um, and if indeed then we have been clothed, then we will not be found naked. If indeed we have been clothed, then we will not be found naked. The New Revised Standard Version um, puts it like this, um, having put off, okay, and, and, they, and they say, if indeed having been, having put off our earthly clothes, we will not be found naked. Well, some people think that that was a, what's the word, and I agree with them, that some scribe changed that, okay, and that it really doesn't say that. It says, if indeed having been clothed, 
we shall not be found naked. But some people think that is, I'll use the words of the commentator, a banal tautology. I know, isn't that cool? Isn't that a great phrase? Banal tautology. Does anybody know what that means? Don't worry, neither did I. It means a needless repetition. Okay? In other words, he's emphasizing the fact that when we arrive in heaven, we're going to be reclothed with something better than we've ever been clothed with before. We're going to be reclothed with a body that is better than the one we've ever thought of having. Okay? And so it's a repetition. It's not needless. Having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Well, duh, that just makes sense, right? Okay? He's going to clothe us with a body that is better than the one we have now, and we shall not be found naked. Okay, so what he's saying basically is we're not just going to be kind of in a, um, in, in a state of flux. Okay, so when you die, and some people are, are questioning this. They ask this question, when? When will we receive that new body? Do we, when we die, do we have to wait till Jesus returns and brings everybody back with him? Or do we receive that body immediately upon our death? Okay, and I got to tell you, you can probably find something in the scripture that's gonna, that gonna, going to uh, prove either way or make you look either direction and see either direction. I'm convinced that when we die, he gives us that new body. We are, on that day, ushered into the presence of God. I'm convinced that on that day, we have a new body. Now, some people think that it's going to wait. We're just going to be um, uh, bodiless spirits. I'm not, I don't believe that. That's not what I think. And some people think we're just going to receive an interim body. So now we got this physical body, and some people think there's going to be another one. And then when Jesus returns, with, uh, you know, we're going to get the real glorified body. I don't believe that either. Okay? I, I, just, I, just, I just think that, that the promise is that we're going to be raised from the dead, that God is going to give us a new glorified body. And how exactly he's going to do that, that's up to him. You know? And so um, he's saying here again, we're going to get this. Having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. And he's just trying to emphasize the fact that we're going to get this new body. Now, naked <coughs> there doesn't mean physically naked standing. It just means not having that physical body. Okay? So he's talking about death. He's talking about the new body. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, or if you will, double clothed or reclothed. That Listen, I love this one. That mortality may be swallowed up by life, or that death may be swallowed up by life. Think about that. There are some people that, to them, life is swallowed up by death. I mean, death is, is the last enemy to be destroyed. But guess what? Jesus did that. He destroyed that last enemy. Because when you die, he gives you eternal life. Now, your eternal life begins the moment you, I mean, the moment you trust Christ. And this is life, that they know you, God the Father, and Jesus, the Son, whom you sent. That's when it begins. But the eternal life in heaven swallows up death. Now, how can it do that? Why does it do that? I'll tell you why or how. I hope it makes sense. Because when you die, he gives you that life, and you're never going to die again. And death is swallowed up by life. Never have to worry about it, never have to fear it again, never have to think about it again, never have to worry about this body or the body in heaven becoming decrepit, becoming corrupt, becoming, you know, failing you again. Death is swallowed up in life. Who's the only one that can do that? Jesus Christ. And he did it 
because of the love of the Father for you and for me. Death was swallowed up by life. Now, he, I like this too. I like, I mean, of course, it's scripture, so I better like it or there's a problem, right? <clears throat> now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Isn't that something? And look at this, and you see that the one who accomplishes all this, this promise in scripture, everything he's given to us is God. And what you see here is that he prepared us for it. Isn't that cool? God prepared you and me and all who love Jesus for this immortality that he's talking about for being newly clothed with the body that he will create and put on us he prepared us for that and not only did he prepare us for that he gave us a guarantee the guarantee of course is the spirit of God the Holy Spirit of God living in you living in me making us into the image of Jesus Christ and you know <clears throat> I don't see him taking that back you know this is a promise and it's eternal. I don't see him taking that back. He gave us the spirit as a guarantee that guess what? One day, when this body is destroyed, we will receive a new one and live eternally in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One day. So he says, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, there's, you, can, you can look at that in a couple different ways. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're, we are away or separate from the Lord, absent from the Lord. But it seems to me like there's a point where he is at home in the body. He feels at home in the body, okay? But he also knows that being at home in the body keeps him separated from the Lord. And so, but he's confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're separated, we're absent from the Lord. Um, but, and, and that kind of gives us the, the flip side of that because knowing that when we're not at home in the body, when this body isn't our home anymore, guess what? We are not absent from the Lord. We're in the presence of God, okay? And so we're confident, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, there's some interesting things that, that, that were going on, and some of the people thought that, um, that, uh, um, that Paul wasn't very spiritual. And I shared this a few weeks ago, I think, that he wasn't very spiritual because he didn't have those, um, those times of, speaking in the tongues and ecstatic utterances and stuff like that. Uh, and, and so they thought he wasn't very spiritual. And then we look at this and we see what he says here, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I mean, I'm not knocking that, okay? But the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that everything was done in order. And so one of the things that made sure it was done in order was he didn't speak in tongues unless he knew there was an interpreter there, Okay. And he told them not to also. We don't see another person's inward spiritual growth. No, you don't. You know? You may, I may, we may look at somebody and just wonder. And sometimes we might even wonder if they're really saved. And that's a lot of what was happening with him since he didn't have these spiritual utterances, okay, these ecstatic utterances. They thought maybe he really wasn't an apostle, thought he wasn't really saved. We don't see that. We don't see what's happening inwardly in a person's life. We don't know the changes that God is bringing about inwardly. We may see some outward changes, you know, um, in behavior, in attitude. You know, we may see some of those, but guess what? Those are not always an indication of spiritual growth, okay? I mean, you can have people who are, um, who are, if you will, faking it, and faking it pretty well for a long time. And so he says, um, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
And I like that idea. I like that picture because you see <coughs> um, the idea here. Um, <coughs> think about the Hebrew people. Uh, how did they walk? Especially when they were being led out of Egypt. Well, they walked by sight, didn't they? What did they follow? They followed God. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke during the day. They didn't have to walk by faith. It was something visible to them right then. We don't have a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. If we want to live the way God calls us to, we live by faith because we don't see that all the time. The Spirit lives in us, dwells in us, guides us, directs us, but it's not something, He's not something that is visible to us with our, visible, with our physical eyes. And so um, it means that we, living by faith means that we walk with God without a literal pillar of fire or a cloud to guide us like Israel had. Um, our life in Christ is hidden. We cannot prove it from outward appearances. And sometimes people judge things only by outward appearances and they can't see the whole truth about Paul or you or me and understand. And sometimes people will judge on what they see us do or what they know about what we've done, but not about and, and what they don't know that we have done. You know what I'm saying? So he says we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. All right. Earlier he said, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But we are confident, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So you see which one he'd rather have. Um, and then he says, therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Whether we're present with him or whether we're absent from him, we make it our aim. It is our purpose to be pleasing to him. You know, I think about, and I'm trying to, try to figure out, how do we explain that? Because here, and let me go on so we can get this again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, because we have to, we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we want to be pleasing to him. One day he's going to judge our, our actions. He's going to judge our works. He's going to judge the things that we've done. So we want to be pleasing to him, whether with him or whether here on this earth. I, uh, we've had several people come in make phone calls, call in here, and uh, need to do community service. And, and that's a tough thing sometimes, um, just because it's tough to schedule that sometimes. But they call and I say, sure, we can help you out. You come on in, we'll let you, you know, help clean up the parking lot. We'll help you take, you know, have you take out trash, have you clean, have you clean windows, those kind of things. Nothing real big, nothing, you know, um, and I ask them, so when are you going back? And they tell me the date, and then they say, uh, and how many hours do you have to have? I have to have 100 hours. Okay, so they're going back in a few months, and the judge is going to make a determination at that point whether they're doing well enough or not. And so we set up a couple times, and then we say, now what about next week? What about next week? Try to get them two or three hours at once. What do they want to do? They want to get that work done so that when they go back to the judge, they are well-pleasing to that judge. Because if they don't get that work done, they're going to spend at least one night in jail. They're going to pay the consequences for, for their crime. And so, um, to me, that's the best earthly picture I can give you of this kind of idea. We as Christians ought to want to please Jesus Christ. We ought to, um, to want to do the things that he calls us to do. 
and, um, and and there's so much more we can talk about because in order to please him, we need to be conformed to his image, right? We need to become like him and um, uh, and we need to do what he calls us to do. It's not always easy. We talked a little bit Wednesday night. It's a process. There's a change that comes about. Um, when Jesus Christ comes into your heart, he makes you a new creature. We're going to talk about that next week. And there's a change that comes about, but not everything changes perfectly. We might still have, what's the word I'm looking for? Some attitudes that require some adjusting by the Holy Spirit in our life. And so, but we want to live for him. And verse 15 in, in the chapter says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure, was that he didn't live for himself, that he lived for Christ. You know, as Christians, we don't or we shouldn't live for self. We live for Christ. And sometimes, often, often, that means making sacrifices of our desires for the benefit of others. Sometimes it means doing the thing that we least want to do or that we just don't want to do for the benefit of somebody else. And when a, when a, when a Christian says, um, you know, we, we ask somebody, well, hey, how about this? And they say, well, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. Why not? I don't want to. I mean, that's, a, to me, a difficult answer to hear. And when somebody says, well, I've got to take care of myself, um, and, and I'm just not going to make that sacrifice for that person, that's difficult to hear. Because Jesus Christ calls us to live for him. You can think about all kinds of things, and I, I actually have some scripture here that I want to hit before we close. Uh, you think about this one. <coughs> Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three times in three out of four of the Gospels. It would seem to me that if it's in three out of four of the Gospels, it's pretty important. If three out of four of the Gospel writers recorded this command, then it would seem to me that it's pretty important. And you think about Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. And I love this story. You know it. I'm going to read some of it real quickly. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? What's your reading of it? He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He said, You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite. Now these guys are the religious guys, the guys that they think, that think they got it all right with God, okay? That they think that they're the ones, that, that, that they're the pinnacle of, of God's creation because they're the religious leaders. And, um, and the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, whom these priests and Levites looked down on because they were considered half-breeds, certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? He answered, he, notice he didn't even say the Samaritan man. He said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Sometimes, sometimes that's what it takes to be pleasing to God. Giving up our time and sometimes even some income to help take care of other people. I, I don't, I mean, I don't claim to be perfect at that. 
In fact, I don't claim to be perfect at anything. I don't even claim to be good at some things. But I do know that we need to make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. And if it requires sacrifice, then so be it. That's what it requires. If it requires, and it does, resisting temptation, then so be it. If it requires helping somebody know Jesus Christ, then that's what it requires. And that's what we ought to be about. Living our life for Jesus. And let other, letting others know that He is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your love. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we can read Your Word, that we can read it silently and hear You. We can read it out loud and hear You out loud. God, I thank You for the guidance of Your Word. I help pray, that, Father, that, that as we read and study Your Word, as we preach it, as we teach it, God, it won't just be something that goes in one ear and out the other, but it will make a difference. It will transform our minds, renew our minds. It will change us. It will mold us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that as we grow and as we learn and as we study, that, God, we will be different, not just physically, but spiritually, from when we were first born in Christ. Father, renew our minds, transform us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.